I don't know how we let it happen, but we did give Von Palmer a couple of days off. So we're chatting this morning with Jazz Joe Hall, host of the upcoming Jazz Joe Hall show launching August 23rd, right here on 980 CKNW. He's joining us for the view from Victoria. Good morning, Jazz. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Jazz actually is in today in another room because you're checking things out. Yes. The new workscape. How does it, it look? You know, I was looking around, just checking out the equipment. Um, I used to work in radio even before at CKNW in my hometown of Williams Lake. I used to volunteer. So it kind of gives me that feel of watching the sliders and everything. And uh, I actually ended up disc jockeying. Uh, when you I first, did it. I did. I did, did you have like a radio name or was it Jazz Johal? It was Jazz Johal, but it was at a country music station. That's nice. how I see. Yes. And it was just when they made that transition from old country to new country. So yeah. Conway Twitty to Randy Travis and Shania Twain and all that. So And nobody suggested to you, it's very common, right, to have like an alter ego name. And I used to work with Tamara Stanners, uh-huh. lovely, lovely lady. And her radio name when she first got into the business, and I always loved this, was Dusty Rhodes. Oh, I, I love <laughs> that. I love that. Well, there was a singer at that time named um, Skip Ewing. And it was suggested I change my name to Skip, Skip Joe Hall. <laughs> and I fought it. I love it. I fought it really okay, hard. Okay, Skip, whatever you say. <laughs> now, things have changed, obviously, since you worked at NW, because the studio that I'm in right now, I think when you worked here, was probably Frosty's studio. It was. Actually, uh, when I worked there uh, at, in the early 90s, it was actually the Expo studio. So oh. we were, we, the talk show studios were there, and then the main station was in New Westminster at 8th and McBride. Oh, you did the move, the whole thing downtown? Yes, that's right. Wow, yeah, that this, was this, way back. This um, particular office now, this uh, structure here, it was still being built at that time. So I had just left just before you opened. Jazz Joe Hall, old school, old I tell you, NW old school. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we have a lot of political stuff to talk about this morning as well. We seem to be getting closer, Jazz. Do you get the sense that this week is the week we're going to get that election call? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the political watchers really assumed it was going to be Monday. The drumbeat was on for Monday. And now the conversation generally isn't around Wednesday or potentially Thursday uh, that there would be an election call. Um, As I stated yesterday, there are uh, volunteers out door knocking in North Vancouver and some of the must-win ridings of Surrey as well. Uh, You know, they've they've rented offices. Um, If you go through some of the community newspapers, significantly more advertising Mm. uh, from members of parliament uh, over the last month and six weeks. So the drumbeat towards an election is there. Now, uh, it'll ultimately come down to Prime Minister Trudeau and some of his advisors to ultimately decide. But I think they're almost at the point of point of no return. But I think they have to be a little concerned. I think a few months ago, the conversation was that they're headed towards a majority government of election was called. Uh, I think that if you look at the numbers now, they're probably a little less sure. And now with the conversation around the Delta yeah. variant, especially uh, here in British Columbia, you've got to give it a little bit of sober second thought because if the status quo remains, let's say it's not a majority, I don't see Mr. Trudeau uh, remaining uh, as leader of the party. Uh, yeah. He'll be leaving. And Mr. O'Toole is going to have difficulties well holding on. And, and Jagmeet Singh, he's had two tries. So you could potentially, if there is status quo, if, the, if uh, Mr. Trudeau and Liberals aren't handed a majority, you could see all three leaders leaving as well. So significant, uh, significant roll of the dice, that's for sure. It really is. I feel like it's becoming more significant all the time uh, with where we are with the Delta variant, with where we are with the whole vaccine passport and the borders opening. And the fact that you're going to call an election, you're going to, going to be in an election election campaign while you're reopening borders because international visitors can arrive in September and you know we're going to see numbers likely go up 
that's such a risk. Well, I, it is. And I think what the liberals are thinking, it's actually a, it's crass politics in the sense that let's call an election now. British Columbians are busy. Canadians are busy with summer uh, and, and just not paying attention to the news as much as they generally would. Post-Labor Day, uh, there'd probably be a lot more attention to an election, but it doesn't give the opposition enough oxygen to really hammer home some of the core messaging that they wish to do so in but, regards to uh, Mr. Trudeau. I mean, there's been scandal after scandal, as we know. They're government in power now for six years. But some days you listen to the news, it looks like they've been in power for 12 in regards to what's really been piling does. up, right? But also, so, the last person to do this, the last person to take that almost exact line of thinking was Stephen Harper in 2015 calling an election in the summertime for a vote in late September yeah. that did not go any way which that party had anticipated or that he had anticipated. Uh, it goes back to as much technology, as much social media that you have today, campaigns still matter. And uh, look, the, the Trudeau government at that time expected a majority and a lot of dirt was, uh, and ba- a story in background in regards to Mr. Trudeau came out uh, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. So he's taking a tremendous risk when he does this, uh, but I think it's my sense is it's a risk that they want to take, and, and uh, he wants that majority. You've done some door knocking in your time. Oh, yes, I how, have. Yeah. How reflective is the message that you get when you knock on the door and talk to people versus the outcome of an election? I think it can be quite significant because you get a lot of noise from social media and exactly. and, and, and so right? much media out there this day and age. It matters. I mean, you get a sense of of what people really care about. People are really good at taking information and knowing what's real and what's not. You really get that. Like there really is a wisdom to to BC and Canadian voters. You sense that at the door. You're going to have some folks, uh, you know, who believe in a certain ideology. But I also think for politicians, I used to door knock in the middle of election campaigns. So not in the middle of election campaigns, in the middle of terms. So like two years before an election, I'd be out door knocking. Yeah. So I've did. Two years prior, I think I did about 35 days of door knocking. And A, it shocks people that, hey, a politician is knocking on their door when there's no election. And two, it really grounds you as a politician as well in what's right and real. They appreciate what you're doing in many cases, but they also want to challenge you on some of the positions that your government's taken, why it's happening. And sometimes you'll have problems that they've addressed and you try to help them uh, through your office as well. So it's really good. But if you're that person, and first of all, that's never happened to me in Mm -hmm. my neighborhood. None of my elected representatives have ever actually, their people have, but Mm -hmm. none of them have actually showed up. And even if I didn't like that party, if I saw one of them, it would change how I feel about them because they had shown up at my door. Yeah, I think it's one of the things when peop- when parties lose touch, and you saw that with the BC Liberals, there's a lot of folks who go through the motions. You've got to be doing that door knocking. You've got to be engaging. And uh, it, I don't understand why politicians do it just during election time. I think yeah. it's actually better to do it in between. And, uh, you know, if, if you're a strong local candidate, that can make a difference of 3 to 5 to 7% of the vote, right? Ultimately, it still comes down to the national or provincial leader and the broad message of, of a party. But that door knocking can pay pay off in, 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 in a big way for, for a lot of candidates. But some of the, I would say, like, quote unquote, best or long serving MPs, MLAs, what have you, are, I think, the ones that have that connection with their neighborhoods and their communities. And they get voted in despite party, despite whatever, because their local community said, you know, their office helped me or they did that for me and I'm going to, I'm going to vote for them. That's why when a politician gets into trouble, uh, the ones that are really much, uh, pretty much uh, just to do door knocking are really about the grassroots. They don't worry about that bigger, broader challenge. That's their number one. 
But two, I, I think that sometimes you have uh, candidates that sit in very safe seats as well that are probably going to vote liberal or conservative or NDP, whatever it may be. The challenge sometimes is bringing new and young blood into these parties. Too often, True. young people, young candidates, women, racialized minorities are sometimes used as cannon fodder in ridings where they're not going to win, right? Yeah. And so challenges within any party after, after a while is getting some of the old guard to say, you've done time your time. Go. It's now trying to – you should be mentoring the next generation of leader. And then parties that don't. They're the ones that get in trouble over the long term. I've also found that I think people have forgotten in general what their local representative is, does for them. During, you know, recently we had all those problems with the Canada Revenue Agency, you know, mm-hmm. and people couldn't get through on the phone. And I had so many people email me and I would reply to them and I would say, call your local MP. It yeah. is their job to help you with this. So many of them got back to me and said, I can't believe that worked. And I thought, well, that they're the people, they're there to help you. I, you know, the, the best part of being an MLA or an MP, in my mind, and, and certainly I saw it, was somebody, somebody comes into your office and I've had, you know, somebody who had to get surgery and they just got lost in the shuffle. Oh. Uh, they were out of the country, they had moved back and to help them. And when they call you in tears to say thank you, that matters so much. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what public service is about. And I think people have forgotten that. Like when you go to an MP's office or an MLA's office, that's nonpartisan. They may be a, a liberal or a conservative, a new Democrat, doesn't matter. You go into that office, they're obligated to help you. They are your representative. So it can be about immigration. It can be about transportation issues. It can be about anything. If there's a government service, and let's be honest, these are multi-billion dollar operations. Exactly. People get lost in the shuffle sometimes. They're your representatives. And doesn't matter who you voted for, they're there to help you. Exactly. We forget that all too often. Yeah. Oh, Look at that. Our time is up. Jazz, thank you. <laughs> we'll have many more days to talk. <laughs> I was going to say that. And you can hear Jazz, of course, all the time, afternoons 3 to 6, starting August the 23rd. Uh, but thank you for filling in for Vaughn this week. Vaughn is back tomorrow.